The greenest energy is the energy that you don't use. Welcome to Extension Out Loud, a podcast from Cornell Cooperative Extension. I'm Paul Treadwell. And I'm Katie Bailden. Hey, Katie. Hey. What are we talking about this time? So we have a conversation with a few of our colleagues about energy choices, energy efficiency, and how to prepare for winter storms. Yeah, there's some really helpful tips on taking a look at your house and the whole envelope, as they say, of your house, and how to tighten that up a little bit and save some money and save some energy. Yes. So we talked to Catherine Hurlman. She's an Extension Disaster Education Coordinator with CCE. Colin Adkins, he's the Environment and Energy Resource Educator with Cornell Cooperative Extension of Dutchess County. And Sean Welsh, who is an Energy Resource Educator, Community Energy Advisor with Cornell Cooperative Extension Sullivan County. There are also a number of resources that are mentioned during the podcast, and we'll be sure to include links to those in the show description. My name is Catherine Hurleman. I am the Extension Disaster Education Coordinator for the Cornell Cooperative Extension. I work with Dr. Keith Tidball, who is the State Program Director of the New York Eden Program. I'm delighted to be here today, and a little bit about me is that uh, I am an environmental geologist who's been working in the energy sphere for approximately the last six years. And over the past six months, I've been working with the All Hazards Preparedness and Response Education Program that manages the New York Eden Initiative uh, to develop links between uh, natural disaster preparedness and energy and community. My name is Colin Adkins. I'm a community energy advisor with Cornell Cooperative Extension, Dutchess County. Um, and Sean and I work together on NYSERDA's Community Energy Engagement Program, um, which uh, has a goal of, of helping build clean energy awareness and connecting underserved communities with uh, cost-saving opportunities. Very good. And Sean? Ditto. <laughs> no, I am an energy resource educator uh, and a community energy advisor by NYSERDA's uh, definition with Cooperative Extension in Sullivan County. And Colin and I work, you know, in the same uh, program down here in the Mid-Hudson region. And, uh, yeah, we are looking to link folks into um, the wide menu of NYSERDA's programs for energy efficiency, but also clean energy technologies and, uh, you know, help people look at all the resources that are available, too, outside of NYSERDA's programs. Could you guys just explain what NYSERDA is? Yeah, NYSERDA is the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. And how does their organization work with Cooperative Extension to move things forward? What's the process and what do you guys actually do on the ground? NYSERDA has awarded 10 locally-based and, and community-based organizations across the state uh, to deploy community energy advisors like Sean and myself to conduct engagement activities in New York State out to residents, small businesses, and uh, multifamily building owners with an emphasis on the low-to-moderate income segment that we work to enable all those informed energy decisions that happen day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, and then we're also working to increase local participation in energy efficiency and renewable energy programs and services. 
I'll also add that another flagship NYSERDA program, which I'm not formally representing today, but is equally important, is the NYSERDA Clean Energy Communities Program. Its primary audience is municipalities, and I assist those municipalities in Chemung, Schuyler, and Steuben counties with undertaking prescriptive actions, uh, which fulfill the reforming the energy vision targets of New York State and assist local governments with not only reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but also identifying cost-saving measures for undertaking energy efficiency and clean energy actions. You mentioned state energy goals. Could we talk about those for a little while? What are the, the state's energy goals and how is CCE working to meet them? New York is leading the nation with its clean energy and climate goals, and these are comprehensively known as REV, Reforming the Energy Vision. And the primary goal is to build a clean and more resilient and affordable energy system for all New Yorkers. In the case of my role, I focus on developing the resilience component of that goal. And as a part of the All Hazards Preparedness and Response Education Program, that translates to educating key groups, such as municipal governments, emergency managers, community groups, farmers, and families about how to develop resilience to grid disruptions and power outages by developing a culture of preparedness and building appropriate technologies. Anything you want to add, Colin or Sean? I will add that the other side of the coin from adaptation and resilience is mitigation, trying to slow and stop and reverse the impacts of climate change. So I guess that's kind of the space that Sean and I work in, which is to reduce our energy consumption and make our buildings more energy efficient by taking advantage of all the incentives that the state has available. Because the state has very ambitious climate goals of uh, reducing our emissions by 85% by 2050. And building stock uh, in our all of our buildings, uh, I think, accounts for about a third of those emissions. So you mentioned programs that the state has that people can take advantage of. What are some of those that folks might be able to find easily? In the residential sector, we focus on like a three-tiered system. So we have a low and moderate income programs, and then we have some market rate programs. So I'll, I'll start with the market rate. So that's folks who are making above or at 200% of the area median income. So that, that would fall into the Home Performance of Energy Star program. And that enables folks to get a home energy assessment, or you know, it's typically known as the home energy audit. For reduced costs, in some cases free, and then continue on to energy upgrades recommended from that audit. And um, the audit is done by Building Performance Institute trained professionals, known as home performance contractors. NYSERDA houses a list of and are vetted uh, by NYSERDA. The next tier down would be the Moderate Income Program, known as the Assisted Home Performance and Energy Star Program, and that would give folks a completely free home energy audit or assessment. And then if folks are eligible for that program, and the eligibility does differ county by county, but they could get a cost share of up to 50% for the upgrades recommended on the audit up to $4,000. So it's a very generous program. It can help folks really tackle some of those high priority issues. And then NYSERDA does have some financing products that folks can tap into to make these things happen. It's a on-bill recovery loan and then an energy smart loan. Just out of curiosity, what would you use those loans for? Is that a major sort of home improvement effort you would undertake? Colin mentioned our building stock. We are in an old state. and We have very old buildings. And in some cases, you could see a building that has absolutely no insulation, tons of space to do work. Maybe somebody is interested in adding a supplemental heating and cooling system. 
And all these things can be factored into the cost of a loan. And so it could just open up the possibility of somebody doing some heavy insulation work, really kind of attacking that envelope and really addressing a wide array of their building's issues. So it enables folks to get the work done. And that helps with the upfront costs. And then long-term, are energy users seeing cost savings from making the upgrades? The home performance contractors all use software that models what the upgrades will produce as far as energy savings and what they'll Mm. see as a payback. So those software systems do give the consumer data that they can expect some payback on these upgrades. I think it's worth also mentioning just like a little bit of basic building science too. Why energy efficiency is still a very cost-effective way of saving money and lowering our emissions because we spend more than 50% of our home energy budget on our utility bills just heating and cooling the air in our building. And we know that hot air expands. We know that hot air wants to rise and it wants to find its way out. So the more we can do a better job of insulating our walls, our attics, all those spaces around our rooms where we spend time, and then plugging up those air leaks, we know that that is going to stop that runaway cycle known as the stack effect that creates like a chimney effect in our building where hot air that escapes for every cubic foot of air that escapes, you know, a cubic foot of air is trying to come in. And that's bringing with it cold air. It's bringing with it outdoor air pollutants, contaminants, and can even bring with it some ground level gases like radon. So that is why it pays to invest a little bit in energy efficiency. And then Sean didn't even get into the low income programs yet that provide all these energy efficiency upgrades at no cost to the resident. Yeah, that would be Empower New York, which is a program for low-income families and community members. It works with renters or homeowners. It's kind of like a myth out there that programs haven't worked with renters in the past, but they, they certainly do. So if folks are income eligible, they can get that assessment or the audit for no cost, and then you can get all the upgrades recommended from that assessment paid for by the Empower New York program, no cost to the consumer. That program basically mirrors uh, HEAP and SNAP eligibility requirements. So if folks get those programs, they are going to be automatically eligible for Empower New York. One thing we do with Empower New York, we utilize a really nice tool that the state has come together on. It's a dual application for Empower New York and weatherization assistance programs. We will sign folks up for Empower and hopefully try to get them those weatherization services as well which can do a little bit more work on the envelope. They can do things that look at the heating system itself in the home. Power New York can do a little bit of insulation work and then really focus on electric reduction services. But when you're talking about that dual application and you're talking about getting folks involved with Empower and weatherization, you can really see some savings and some heavy work done on an envelope that, that can really result in better comfort, health and safety measures, and of course the end goal is energy savings and conservation. But we also, and I'll turn it over to Colin for one other program for the low-income space. Colin, would you want to talk about Solar for All? Sure. This one isn't in the same realm as energy efficiency, but it is definitely still in that space of mitigating our carbon emissions because all that electricity we draw from the grid is produced, some of it by burning fossil fuels. And so the more renewables that come onto the grid the lower our carbon footprint gets from our electricity consumption. But at an even better level, 
This other low-income program called Solar for All provides another measure of utility bill assistance to make energy more affordable by using solar credits. So this works on a community solar model where there is already electricity being put onto the grid from a solar array, and the state is essentially paying for those credits and distributing them out to eligible customers. So it's another great program for renters who might live in a large building and are unable to access solar in a more traditional model, but can still benefit from those credits and be saving money. Catherine, do you have something you'd like to say about energy audits? Yes, before we transition too far away from that topic, I'd just like to say that NYSERDA has done an excellent job across the board reducing or altogether eliminating the costs of producing energy audits. Uh, Energy audits are an amazing planning tool at any scale. So I just wanted to sum up what I saw as these suite of products that uh, Colin and others are offering for homeowners. There's also a suite of those products available for other types of stakeholders. And I think that that's absolutely critical because as we transition toward a concept called beneficial electrification, where all of our systems, including our heating systems, are slowly transitioning toward electricity only, especially in urban areas, it's critical to make those energy efficiency updates to make your home or your building tighter, as they call it, sealing that envelope before electrifying everything because the greenest energy is the energy that you don't use. So we're sitting here on the edge of winter, and this seems like a timely conversation, but can folks take advantage of these programs throughout the year? Certainly, I think folks, typically now is the time of year we get busiest. I think Colin and I have been doing this for about uh, 18 months now, and we're finding after experiencing our first winter in the program, fall into winter is the time people start to think about these services and getting involved with it. But yeah, certainly you can access these programs year-round. It's actually great to do this in the spring, summer, fall, whenever, but our contractors are less busy in the summer and in the spring. We definitely want to encourage listeners to take advantage of getting an audit for their home, but I'm wondering if you could share with us some of the tips that someone might get from the audit, things that are kind of wide-reaching that maybe anyone can do to improve their energy efficiency. I will actually encourage Sean to take that one. He's gone through the Building Performance Institute training, and a lot of those recommended items can be about the building envelope, but then there's some some behavioral changes as well. So there's mm-hmm. kind of two main, main categories there. We often think about the behavior of turning off a light bulb when we leave a room, but there's also some basic things we could do to the building as well to kind of plug up some of those air leaks. Sean, you want to talk about those? Sure. Well, first of all, I mean, I've been working in this space for about 12 years, and I've worked a long time in energy efficiency on the extension level. And just talking to folks, like looking at their building yearly, acknowledging that we live in the Northeast, the frost heave and the settling that's going to happen yearly is going to change your building slightly on a year-to-year basis. So really kind of addressing those little things, becoming familiar with your building and becoming familiar with how to weatherize. So being familiar with how to caulk, different caulking products. If you're a renter, what's a peel and seal product? So it's not going to damage paint or around a windowsill, things like that. So if you're worried about losing security deposit, things like rope caulk can be very helpful. Other things, weatherizing, weather strips, how to use a door sweep, you know, looking at your exterior entrances and exits from the home and making sure they're as firmed up as you can make them, and then just becoming familiar with them and addressing them yearly. You know, a lot of them are rubber gaskets that you can swap out once every year or two. 
some of the different weatherizing materials, felt or lighter weight stuff that may have to be addressed more in high use areas. But things you're going to find in the audit are going to be a wide array of recommendations. And it really is situational to each person's building. Typical things, though, we see are if there's something going on in the basement, those are usually unconditioned spaces. So they're going to look at what's going on with that envelope and say, what's the conditioned space? Are there gaps in the conditioned space? And can we close those gaps up to make sure there's thermal bridge around the whole entire heated space in the home? So typically, you'll see on a lot of reports a recommendation to attack the rim joists and look at that. So that's where your basement ceiling meets the first floor and what's going on in that space. So a lot of times you'll see a recommendation to address that with some insulation. And then a lot of times knee walls and attics, they're not brought into the conditioned space. So you'll see those typical warning signs of like ice dams or heavy snow melt on those warmer days, freezing over on the edges and creating an ice dam and then some roof damage from there. So if you do see that, that's an indication that you probably have a gap in that conditioned space letting your warm air out. So those are typical things in the audits that you'll see, but it's a tough question to answer because everybody's building is going to be different. So if I'm a parent and I have kids that I'm running here, there, and everywhere to do after-school activities, and I just have a limited amount of time looking around my apartment or my house, are there one or two simple things I can do that would help conserve some of the energy, keep my house a little warmer this winter? I would definitely recommend starting with just looking around doors and windows. And you can light a little tea candle and kind of set it near the window and see how much that flame might be wavering or light a little piece of incense and look to see how straight that smoke is rising up. That'll let you know if you have a big air leak there or if you can go up to your door and look through the crack a little bit. If you see daylight on the other side, that means that there is a lot of air that can pass through there. So think about how many times a year you open and close that front door. All that weatherizing you put up last year or that might have been there when you moved in has probably worn down quite a lot. It's definitely good, as Sean mentioned, to go back every year and look at those common areas around doors and windows and just make sure that there is a nice tight barrier that when that door is closed or that window is closed, that the area around it does not have air leaking through it. And I'd add to that real simple things, Paul, would be make sure your windows are locked. Make sure those get that window shut as tight as possible. Also, and it sounds simple, but your flue, if you have a chimney, make sure the flue is closed. Those are going to just kind of make that stack effect that Colin mentioned just more enforced and really kind of pull more air. So simple things like that, I think, can can help folks. And then there's if you're a little handier of a person or, you know, you some of these other recommendations, you may have to turn the electric off or hit the main switch. But looking at different products that utilities do offer at a discounted rate on their websites normally, things like programmable thermostats can really have a have a nice effect on a building because you can kind of schedule things to you're turning the heat on when you need it and off when you're out of the building or mm-hmm. asleep. Sink aerators, faucet aerators are another way to, to slow down hot water that you're using. So another way to reduce electric cost or fuel cost. And then insulating your sockets on the exterior walls and your light switches on exterior walls is another nice thing that a homeowner can do. But once again, you do have to make sure your electric is off. If you do have a hot water heater and and hot water pipes, if you're the homeowner, 
Looking at insulating those pipes in that hot water heater is something you can consider too. Really simple to do uh, insulating hot water pipes, but you know, it can save you a couple more dollars. And if you're not a handy kind of guy like I'm not, um, you just go downstairs, you turn the main breaker off and just cut the power to the whole house because anything involving electricity scares the hell yeah. out of me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And if you're not comfortable doing that even, then you can have an electrician come in and help you do some of these things. So I'd like to dive into some of the energy technology a little bit. But before we get to that, I wanted to invite Catherine to talk a little bit more about some of the preparedness measures um, that folks can take to mitigate the impacts of some of the storms that we face in the winter. Absolutely. I'm just going to add uh, a comment related to energy audits. Uh, they They can seem very complex, but what they essentially are is a budget and a cost-benefit analysis. And when I communicate with municipalities, I use this wonderful acronym that Tatum Engineering developed called WALER to go through the different components of the energy audit. That stands for walls, heating, appliances, lights, envelope, and renewables. And those are all of the themes that an energy audit that's complete should address. And that gets us into a comprehensive way to organize the litany of tasks that an energy audit can organize and recommend. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit about preparedness. The first thing that people can do to prepare is to plan, 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 plan. Let's focus on that for residential and agricultural producers. FEMA estimates that over 60% of people do not have an emergency plan that they have discussed with their households. So the first thing that households can do is develop an emergency plan using the disaster preparedness resources on the Eden website. What do those plans usually entail? Typically, we want to ensure that your house and your vehicle are prepared to go. So that involves developing an emergency kit that's appropriate to your family and their individual needs, including needs related to medical and to your pets. For your home as well as for your vehicle if you were caught in severe winter weather. With respect to the home, one of the biggest things that you can do to prepare is to listen to our uh, very well-equipped community energy advisors throughout the southern tier and the mid-Hudson in order to uh, undertake winterization efforts. So, And now uh, North Country as well. And North Country, excuse me. The first thing that people should do to prepare is to know their risks. Extreme winter weather can leave communities without utilities or for an extended period of time. It's important that families have a backup heating system, such as a fireplace or a wood stove in case electricity is unavailable for an extended period of time. Point being, it's important to first just discuss a plan with the folks who are in your home or at your office or at your institution, then to use vetted resources like ours on the Eden website to prepare, and then to understand what they need to do to survive during a severe weather event. So that means knowing basic first aid, learning the signs and basic treatments for common issues such as frostbite and hypothermia that result from exposure. What about generators? What can anybody tell me about backup generators? Should I get one and throw it in my basement and wait for the power to go out? (laughs) I I highly recommend, especially if you're in a rural or suburban area where traditionally you do see those longer times to reconnect to the main grid. 
that you do obtain a gasoline or a diesel generator, but do not put it in the bottom of your basement without adequate ventilation. That is unfortunately a real and present threat of carbon monoxide poisoning that we need to do perennial education on. It is critical that you know where and how to place that generator appropriately. And we do have resources on the Eden website for generator purchase and maintenance. And generators, as well as a backup wood stove or fireplace, are truly the best options at this point. So if you're an urban dweller, you're not going to buy a gas generator and tuck it in the corner of your apartment. So if you live in a city and the power goes out, is your main option just to wait? Urban residents tend to have access to emergency heating and cooling centers. Typically, one of our greatest threats has been winter storms. So emergency heating centers are very likely to already be established at fire stations, hospitals, and residents can refer questions about what those locations are to their emergency managers at the county level or to their municipal officials. For urban residents, there are some pretty well developed strategies for uh, dealing with heating and cooling emergencies, but typically they involve going to a shelter, not staying in place for extended periods of time. Catherine, I'm sorry to interrupt. How do I find my county emergency manager? That is a great question. So typically each county has a uh, department of emergency services. So if you were to just Google your department of emergency services, that's the fastest way to find out who your emergency manager is. Typically the emergency services department will include the 911 call center, as well as the emergency manager's office. Because we are a home rule state, each county has a slightly different application. It may be called emergency services or uh, the emergency department, emergency management. But typically, if you were to uh, reach out to your uh, legislature, they would know immediately where to send you. Cool. Thanks. All right. So I think we're we're kind of getting toward the end here. Are there things that we've missed? Is there something that Somebody has a a strong feeling that should be included here. I think uh, one thing, you know, we didn't really get into, but I think we could mention is small businesses and nonprofits with under under 100 employees. um, There is a new program, a kind of reiteration of of an old program, Green Jobs, Green New York um, Energy Study Program can help those businesses get access to a building assessment, and then uh, recommend potential upgrades, very similar to the, the residential spaces, and then move through with the upgrades and get, help, try to figure out how to, how to finance those, too. There's products for everybody on NYSERDA's um, uh, menu that we can help folks access. Thanks for listening to this episode. Extension Out Loud was produced and edited by Paul Treadwell with help from Katie Belden and R.J. Anderson. For more about this episode, including show notes, a listener survey, uh, sign up for our mailing list, and more, visit extensionoutloud.com. And be sure to subscribe to Extension Out Loud on your favorite podcast directory.